it, it's funny. There's those posters or memes that say like, "Be the person that your dog thinks you are." Like, <laughs> I, I, I almost feel like it works in the other direction as well. You're like, I, I could just as easy say like, "Treat my loved ones as well as I, how I treat my dog." Oh man, that's hard. And yeah. when you walk by the the <laughs> office break room and they're humping something, <laughs> cut that out. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> do you just go pet them on the head and say, "Good boy"? You'll do better next time. <laughs> There's no emotional barrier when it comes to talking to the dog. She does None. something great. I immediately tell her how great you she is. Praise her, yeah. Yeah, when it comes to people I love, it's. There's so much more weight to it for some yeah. reason, and that's probably all entirely artificial. Oh, it is, but it's normal. It's not abnormal. I mean, that's just kind of how a lot of people are, and that's okay. Yeah. You're listening to Working Code, and now your hosts, who wish they were Boolean, so the next time they're wrong, it's only by a bit. Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 68. And on today's show, we're going to talk about women. I mean, um, we're going to talk about hiring women. (laughs) (laughs) I got a book full of them. (laughs) Binders and binders Binders. full of women. Damn it. I'm so bad at this. (laughs) (laughs) We still got the reference. Yeah. As usual, we're going to start with our triumphs and fails. I guess it's my turn to go first. I'm going to start us off with a failiumph. A failiumph. (laughs) A failiumph. Yes. Today is day two for me of minimal caffeine. So we've talked in the past about extreme abuse, I would say, of caffeine. (laughs) And (laughs) Mountain Dew. A a good day for me was only drinking like six Mountain Dew, like cans. Okay. I don't know how much that works out to in liters, but I'm sure it's a lot. And and so for yesterday and today, I have only had one can and I... That's a big drop. It, it's Huge. it's rough. I, I, I feel like I can't taper down, really. I have to just kind of go cold turkey. Quit it. Forget about the caffeine. How much sugar is that? Well, you drink diet, it's right? diet, yeah. Oh, so okay. yeah. none. I, I find more than anything, though, it's the it's the emotion and the ritual of it. Yep. The can yeah. and the, the grabbing the it. Desk. Yeah. yeah. Going to the fridge. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's nothing better than like something that feels unreasonably cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You get that can that comes out of the fridge at like the perfect time. It's like the condenser just went off or whatever. It's like, this yeah. is extra cold. It's perfect. Wow. So yeah, this week my brain meats have just been dry and cracked. <laughs> and I'm just, my I can't even words right now. I'm having a hard time. Have you had uh, headaches from it? A, a few. Yeah. yeah. I think I've done this detox enough times that my, mm-hmm. my body's starting to understand what to expect and it's not so bad anymore. <laughs> when I cut yeah. out coffee and caffeine, the headaches are like two days long and I'm like, mm-hmm. not worth it. So I usually take Excedrin, like Excedrin migraine because it has the caffeine in it. And I'm like, okay, give me what I need, what I'm addicted to, which is caffeine. <laughs> What's the end goal here, Adam? Are you trying to like, go completely caffeine sober or just trying to clear yourself out for a bit? You know, I don't even know really. Is caffeine sober a thing? Yeah. Oh. Soda sober. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know really the, I guess I was motivated by a couple of things. Like I knew I was drinking too much of it. It was just a choice I was making. It was the vice I was allowing myself to have. And like I said, I know it was a a, a poor choice to make, but if I'm going to make poor choices, at least it was that one. It's only affecting me or whatever, right? It's not like I'm smoking or smoking around my kids or something. But it got to the point where I was having like stomach aches and I kind of mm. could tell it was like bordering on acid reflux and just it was bad. And also I got to the point where like even with six or eight 
cans of Diet Mountain Dew during the day, I couldn't think, you know, couldn't function. Wow. And I was like, okay, that's... Uh, Stop serving its purpose. Yeah. So, yeah. time for a reset. Are you replacing it with water? I am. I have two glasses of water here on my desk Good. instead of my usual two cans of Diet Mountain Dew. To- awesome. <laughs> on days where we record the podcast, I usually, it's a normal day, so I'll, I will have had six to eight Mountain Dews during the day. Cool. And then it's like, bring two up for the podcast too. So, <laughs> Wow. I, I mean, just the fact that you could drink caffeine that late at night blows my mind. Yeah. And I'm out like a light man. I, I lay down and Super like 10 powering. minutes later, I'm out. Do you have ADD? I do. You do. Yeah. Not officially diagnosed, but like when my kids were getting diagnosed, the therapist looked at the way I filled out the forms and she was like, yeah, you have ADHD too. (laughs) (laughs) We know where it came from. So I do too. So I have ADHD. I've talked about that a lot, but caffeine is one of those things that I can drink it at bedtime and I can still go to sleep. I mean, it doesn't have any impact on me. That's so interesting. And I feel like the, the caffeine helps me overcome some of my ADHD, the ways it manifests in me. Yep. I agree. I get that. Well, if that's true, though, then you got to kind of keep an eye on it because yeah, yeah. If the, if the show quality drops off because you're <laughs> stopping, we'll have to ask you to get back on the regimen. I'm going to need you to pick up Mountain Dew. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll take caffeine pills before we record or something. <laughs> you're just going to like walk outside, and we're going to have shipped like cases of Mountain Dew to your house to tempt you. <laughs> oh God, can't tell you guys anything. <laughs> All right. Well, before we spend the entire show talking about Mountain Dew and we're not even sponsored, <laughs> Tim, what do you got going on? So so mine is not a work-related one either. So every year we have a, a tradition. The guy who started the company I work at, his dad, who was a Korean Air Force pilot, he had a wild game dinner and we'd cook weird stuff and I would help him cooking. And he died about seven years ago. And so his Gary is the name of his son. Gary restarted the tradition about five years ago. And so I'm the chef for the dinner. And so we had a dinner this year and it just went great. So we had, we had alligator bites, lamb testicles, and then I did a iguana tacos and we, I called the dish tortoise and the hare. It was a t- turtle soup or turtle stew and braised rabbit. And then we just had a, a wildflower cheesecake at the end. It was really good. I mean, it sounds weird, but it was actually really delicious. It, not a bad dish. Do you do testicles every year? Because last yes. year you had another type. Yeah. It wasn't last year. I didn't do it last year because of COVID. The year, the year before. before. year before that, we did duck testicles. Yeah. Yeah. Duck testicles. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Cool. But, so iguana, just in case you're wondering... They call it the chicken of the tree, and for good reason. It really tastes of nothing. It, down, down in South Florida, like when there's a cold snap, the iguanas will just fall from the tree, and they'll just pick them up. And you can slaughter them, and it's they're an invasive species down there, so you don't even need a hunting permit. You can kill as many as you want. Oh, interesting. But man, when you're cooking it, it stinks so oh. bad. <laughs> oh. It smells like someone left dirty laundry in the washer for a week and a half, and it starts to oh, get kind of gross. funky and moldy. Yeah. That's that kind of smell. Mm. But as soon as it cooks, it, it really doesn't taste of much. It just tastes like whatever sauce you put on it. But it was oh, great for tacos. Hmm. So what do you put on an iguana taco? Do you treat it more like a fish taco or beef or chicken? Yeah, so I did kind of like little street tacos, a little corn tortilla with uh, tomatillo sauce, a little bit of, a little bit of onion, cilantro, 
And that's it. Yeah. And then that mm-hmm. game, uh, my, I brought my homemade hot sauce from Carolina Reaper's sauce. So if they wanted to put that on there. But you can. said it just absorbs all the flavors, right? So it's not really yeah, like its, it's own it's flavor. Kind of extremely neutral. Iguana was like yeah. extremely neutral. Turtle was, turtle was good, but the best was actually the rabbit. The rabbit was absolutely fantastic. So Rabbit is the leanest meat you can eat. I don't know if you knew that or not, but if you have really bad like stomach issues and like lots of acid reflux, rabbit mm-hmm. is one of the proteins that your body can digest without like causing any complication. Yeah. And it's delicious. So you can't live off you can't live off of it because there's not enough fat in it, but you can definitely it helps with like acid reflux and stuff. So growing up on the farm, I know these things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed. I've had turtle before too. Yeah. Out so, of the yeah. shell. So that was me. That you know, it was, it was a good time. We had about fifteen people there and yeah. they they were shooting guns and drinking scotch and eating my food. So it was great. Sounds like the farm, Tim. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know what kind of farm? So everyone calls it a farm. Like I grew up, we had cattle, we had goat, we had chickens, we had everything. Lots of like vegetable gardens more than anything. Mm. And that's what we sold. We sold the cattle at auction for beef, obviously. And then we also sold heifers just for like dairy cow, not dairy, but just to, like breed off. And then we also, I mean, the vegetables were the big thing. That's what we sold the most of. Yeah. I definitely call that a farm. It's a farm. I'd get off the bus and I'd be like, how did the goat get on top of the house today? Like <laughs> literally like, how is the goat? Some, and I would go walk around the house and try to find some way that the goat climbed up there. I can Welcome never to find Georgia, it. folks. Alabama. <laughs> oh, that's right. Alabama. That was Alabama for you. <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah. So I'm calling this a failure. My week since Thursday, if you listened to last week's episode, you knew I dropped off early. We had some emergencies going on with code and it was just a disaster. Since that night, nothing has went right. I mean, nothing. I have stitches in my foot. The dog's been sick. The kid got sick. Had some fights with people I love. And it's just been traumatic. This week has not been fun. However, we did have another release that went out with no problem. So that's a plus side. But I mean, it's just been a solid seven days of nonsense. And I Mm. am over it. So it's just been an ouch week. I literally put in the show notes for you guys who can't see this, that my failure is just ouch, ouch, and more ouch. Like it's just been an ouch seven days. But I know I'm going to like overcome it and I know I'm going to get through it and I'll do better. So yeah, that's the plus side. (laughs) I ask what happened to the, to your foot? Why did you have Yeah. So a step back, we had a really bad cold front come through. And right at the beginning of the cold front, we had super high winds. The winds were so bad that they actually blew the fence over in our backyard, which is why the dog is stressing out and sick now because the neighbor's dogs are vicious and they're in our backyard. So she is not happy about the fact that the neighbor's vicious dogs are in our backyard and we can't let her in the backyard because they may attack her. So it's just been like not fun for her, but we were frustrated about the fence. So Steve and I went and got coffee, came back home as I'm walking in the front door, the wind gusts and blows the door, the screen door shut on my foot and slices through the back of my foot. So I have uh, several stitches through the back still. Uh, Yeah, it was not fun. I looked down the back of my foot and could see into my foot (laughs) and freaked out. I couldn't move. (laughs) Steve's like, just sit down. Nobody wants that. Just sit down. I was like, Oh, I can't. I'm scared to move. My foot might fall off, right? Like, of course, it's not actually going to fall off. But in that moment, I couldn't. So like, he picked me up and like put me in the chair. And he's like, I think we need to see a doctor. I'm like, oh, I think goodness. so to you. So yeah, doors aren't fun when there's high winds outside. Note to self, Ben. <laughs> oh, can you go to something like urgent care for that? 
Yeah. So I we headed over to the urgent care because it was right when they were opening. So I was like, perfect. I won't have to worry about waiting in line too long. This should be great. So I called on the way because of where the cut is. It is literally like in the back of my Achilles tendon. Like it is right Ooh. there to where it's questionable about where the damage could be. So as I'm talking to them, they're like, hey, we probably just want you to go onto the ER because mm -hmm. there's a high risk that you've damaged other things there. So I'm like, actually, I'm at the red light in front of your office. So the doctor was super <laughs> nice and was like, well, just walk on in and I'll take a look at it. So he looked at it and he was like, yeah, I think we're good. So he numbed me up and then took a better look and was like, yeah, I'm pretty confident that I can just stitch you up and you'll be good. So I didn't have to go to the ER, which was great because nobody wants to go to the ER right now because it just takes forever. So the urgent care was good because they got me in and got me out quick. And now I just got to go get stitches out next week. So yeah, oh, man. brutal. Yeah. And side note, if you didn't know this, gingers burn through anesthesia very quickly. Hmm. I did not know that. Yeah. So I looked at Steve. I was like, FYI. I was like, anesthesia is not going to work that long, just so you know. And halfway through the stitches, I'm like crying because I can feel every stitch. He's like, oh, I'm going to numb you back up some more. He goes, you weren't kidding. I was like, yeah, gingers don't do well with anesthesia. That is so fascinating. <laughs> yeah. It's something about our metabolism and how we process things. I don't know what it is scientifically, but yeah. Anyway, so ouch and more ouches for me, but I'm going to be okay. And that's the key thing. <laughs> Positive mental attitude. Yes, I will get through this. <laughs> What about you, Ben? I hope it's better than my failures. It's going to be it's going to be a triumph. I'm going to go with yes. a double triumph. Actually, Perfect. two things I want to bring up. I peopled today Ooh. for the first time Yay. in a really long time, which was pretty exciting. Like with awesome. real pants. <laughs> <laughs> I was totally panted out to the nines. I live about an hour north of New York City, and I went into the city today. I actually took the day off from work, went to the city, and I met Gert Franz. Oh, from Rilo. Yeah, yeah. of Rilo and the Lucy. Lucy? Mm -hmm. CFML platform. And I thought I was just going to have lunch with him. And uh, and then suddenly out of nowhere showed up Mark Drew and Sharon <gasps> Diorio. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that was a surprise little gathering. And I, I haven't seen, I saw Gert in the city maybe two years ago. And wow. I mean, I must have seen Mark, I feel like at the last CF objective, which it's was probably a long like time, yeah. four years ago, something like that, Oof. five years ago. So that was just really nice. It was exhausting for me because oh. I'm an introvert and yeah. I've got like a solid two hours in me and it went like <laughs> four hours. So it's like I was, I had all my emotional tickets had been spent. But then, so that was, I felt good about that. And then my other triumph this week is that I monitor the support channels in our chat at work and I try to get a sense of things that get brought up over and over again. And on Monday or something, someone brought up this idea of, of being able to bulk delete users in the system just like dumping a bunch of email addresses into a system and, and deleting them all. And uh, it's been brought up a number of times. And then someone brought it up again on Monday saying a customer really wanted it. And I was like, you know what? It's time to do something about this. I created a Jira Epic, threw down some tickets, started working on it one morning and was done by the next morning. And it was very simple. It's basically just a form with a big text area. Yeah. You can throw a bunch of IDs or a bunch of emails in it and then just calls an existing API. So I didn't even have to build much of the backend stuff. So it was a... Uh, it was one of those things where you're like, how have we not done this? How did we not do this the first time someone asked for it? Yeah, I think I think some of those are some of those are once you realize the needs there, you do it. Like I can't ever imagine someone requesting to bulk delete users from our system. We don't bulk right. delete users. Like that's not one off delete is a one thing, but we don't bulk delete. So it's not something we could I can imagine getting a request for. But once you get the request, then you're like, Oh, yeah, that makes sense if it if it makes sense for your application. 
Well, that's what that's what's part of part of it is so fascinating is you get to understand how they view the system, right? And and the reason that this keeps coming up with them is because uh, it's a subscription model and they pay per seat. Ah. And so at the end of the quarter or however they figure it out, they look at all the people who've used the application, and some customers will actually send out internal emails, and and say something like, "Hey, respond to this if you still want to be in the system. Otherwise, we're kicking you out." And that's to make sure that they don't go over their quotas and then to, it's good on their end for contract negotiations next year, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. It's all about how your users are in the system. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just a lack of caffeine, but I swear you said prescription model, not subscription model. Oh. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he said subscription. <laughs> I'd like to subscribe increased contracts for all clients. <laughs> Love it. So yeah, so I'm going to go double triumph this week. I feel good about it. Well, I'm taking your triumph as part of my failure. So then does that make us having like, now we're like into like three triumphs? There you go. We're bouncing Teamwork. Yeah. (laughs) So the last time I met up with Gert, he and I met for dinner one night and we sat the entire dinner and we code, like just wrote down problems on napkins and tried salute, like tried getting (laughs) solutions for them. So I hope your like afternoon with, with them was as eventful like as that is because i love just writing things on napkins and being like here your turn go solve this because that's just fun yeah absolutely in some ways that's the whole basis of this podcast (laughs) us getting together and talking about code (laughs) on napkins (laughs) (laughs) you can help Hey y'all, it's Carol here. I love to read, but I have no time to just sit with a book in front of my face and read. I always am multitasking to accomplish everything I need to get done in a day. So when I'm driving the kids around or I'm working out, I can use Audible to get quality reading time in while also achieving the goals I need to to maintain my life. One really cool thing about Audible is they also include a wide selection of free books with your monthly subscription. And it's not just books. They also have podcasts. So you can listen to your favorite podcast like us over there as well. So if you want to support the podcast and get a free month subscription, head on over to workingcode.dev slash audible and get your free trial. You'll also pick up a free credit for a book and you can browse all of that free material and see what I'm talking about. Again, that's workingcode.dev slash audible. Happy book adventures, my friends. So I suggested that we have a talk about women in technology. And this is all brought on because it's International Women's Month. So yay to me. I do my thing and I do it well. Some days I fall (laughs) apart and need stitches, but most of the days I do it okay. And I feel like it should just be like, I don't feel like this is something that should have to be said. Like hire women. Mm -hmm. Like why would this need to even be said? But it needs to be said because there aren't enough women in technology and in what we do. And I just kind of wanted to chat about like my history with everything and how I've seen things play out. You know, I've been doing this for 12 years now and I didn't realize that until this year. I was like, man, I just hit 12 years. Like that's a long time to be in this career. And I've seen a lot of things and I've seen that women are not represented in what we're doing. Like we're not represented in the engineering side of it. We're not represented in the leadership. And I just kind of wanted to chat about that a little bit, if you guys are cool with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess one of the things, if I could throw in the beginning, do it, Carol, when you and I were organizing CF Object, we brought in a keynote speaker that was a woman and she did a similar topic as her keynote speech about increasing diversity and women in tech type stuff. 
And I just remember the comments that we got, like in the feedback forms on that keynote, there were so many people that were negative about this. Like, I have no words. I don't understand how people can think that being more accepting of women in tech or promoting them or just anything is is a bad thing. It should never, ever be a bad thing. (laughs) It, It should never be a bad thing to promote diversity in any way possible. Right. Like, even... I don't know. Part of me is like even setting aside the fact that it's a woman, like it's just another person and they're doing a good job. Like promote them. They're, (laughs) it's easy, but it doesn't always happen. So, yeah. So I guess, like I said, I've been doing this for 12 years. Right. And I really feel like that women are not represented as engineers and in leadership. Like I see women in leader role and like the leadership roles when we're talking about HR. And we're Mm -hmm. talking about finance Mm -hmm. and we're talking about customer service. Marketing. Yeah, marketing. Like I've even seen lots of females there. But when we start looking at the places I've been and the roles I've been alongside of, they're all filled by men. And I never really thought much about it early on. It wasn't until I started feeling like I was getting passed up for things. And I never knew if it was because I wasn't good enough. Because to me, my technical skill is what should promote me. My technical Mm -hmm. skill is how I should grow. And when I realized on paper, I could do more than some of these guys, but I was still being passed up. I was like, okay, we have a problem. Like Houston, there is an issue here. The ship is going to crash. And usually when those things happen, I would just leave. I'd be like, all right, cool. You have a company culture that's not conducive to me working here. So I will find somewhere that does. So I guess I wanted to bring up like a few things that I think are key and crucial areas where women play a role in technology. And to kind of start that off, I feel like women and okay, I keep saying women, I should just say female and male, right? So females, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, I don't know. That's a big thing. Like, I feel like huge. I, I would never choose to correct you on it. But when I hear men or males, if that's where we're going to go. Yeah, so <laughs> but, hard to know what to say. But when I hear other men saying females, it, to me, it feels like them objectifying women. Like it, it, like looking at them as though they're a scientific topic to be researched versus a, a peer, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you think men and women sound better than male and female? I, I feel like that's the more inclusive term. Okay. Personal. I don't know that I have a strong opinion anyway. I just don't want anyone to feel excluded in the conversation. So, and I try to like be inclusive of everything. So anyways, back to where I was. (laughs) So I feel like men and women think differently and the way our brains process things are not the same. I feel like we come to resolutions different. We say things completely different. And that's key when you're talking about building a team and you're talking about building like a product. And I think that, okay, I should also say a lot of this is what I think. And this is what I feel. I don't know if I've said that already, but I would be clear. This isn't like some data or some point that you need to take in that's factual. This is just me. (laughs) You're not talking for all women. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not talking for all women or all men because most of the men I've ever worked with have been absolutely amazing. Tim Cunningham is one of those guys. He has built my career up from when I left college. He hired me as an intern and he promoted me in my growth and he 
made sure that I had everything I needed to succeed. And I am grateful for that. But I've also had the guys along the way who sent me the pics and who made it clear that the only way I was going to be promoted was to spend time in their office. So I have both sides of it. So I'm not saying that either is forced on anyone. So please don't take it that way. Mm-hmm. So I feel like guys and girls <laughs> communicate <laughs> differently, right? So men and women just communicate completely differently. Like we're wired differently. We don't talk the same way. We, we've learned things differently. We've grown up differently. Yeah, different so, life experiences. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I've realized over the years is that when I'm sitting at a table with a whole bunch of guys, I automatically assume I know what most of them are thinking. I assume that I know what's going through their heads because my assumption is all guys think alike. And that's not fair. It's not fair at all, but it's just the way I go into things. So when I'm preparing for a meeting and it's just the same group of guys, I don't put as much effort into it because I make the assumption that I know what they're thinking and I know how they're going to like handle this. Where when my meetings or my projects are stacked with a bunch of diversity at the table, then suddenly... I plan for everything. I prepare for every question that could be asked because I don't know what's going to come from it. And I feel like we get lazy when we have a team that is lacking diversity. And I don't know if you guys agree with that or if you can see what I'm saying, but that's just how like I've seen things play out over the years is that diversity forces me to prepare and it forces me to expect the unexpected. Whereas when I'm on a team that I kind of assume what people are going to do, then I don't go into it like prepared. I go into it with the assumptions and I just kind of go with what's going to happen. Well, let me ask you a question because I've been working remotely for basically the last 10 years now. And so all of my meetings have been virtual. Sure. I I know you are now working remotely, but you have not always worked remotely. As a woman in meetings, do you find it easier to participate? Do you feel like you're heard differently in a virtual meeting than you are in an office meeting? So, yes, I feel like it is much harder for me to be on camera because guys will show up with their baseball cap on, right? They'll show up in a t-shirt and a baseball cap. I feel like if I turn my camera on and I don't look a certain way, I'm going to not be taken seriously if it's with the people, if it's with like a group of people in the meeting that they don't know me. If I turn my camera on like this right now with my team, they'd be like, oh my God, what's wrong? Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, just, I'm a nerd. I have allergies and asthma. Get over it, right? Like, it's just what (laughs) happens for us. It's what we do. But if it were with like management and stuff, I just wouldn't turn my camera on because I feel like I wouldn't be taken seriously if I don't have on something good or I don't have on makeup or I haven't taken the time to prepare myself. And I I do feel like that it's harder to have virtual meetings than in person. Because when I was going to the office, I would. I'd get up every morning, I'd take a shower, I would put on makeup, I'd do my hair, and I'd be presentable. I would make sure that I fit what you thought of when you thought of how a woman should look, right? I didn't want to show up looking like a guy with a baseball cap on because I don't want to be the guy on the team. I still want to be a female member of this team and I want to be taken like seriously in that role. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting, I have to say, because it is exactly the opposite of what I would have expected. And I think (laughs) part of that is is me reading my own sensitivities into it because I'm introverted. And so for me, being in an in-person meeting is much more intimidating than it is being behind this sort of digital abstraction, somehow having all the little squares be equal size and of equal importance, (laughs) so to speak. I feel much safer speaking up. 
from from an introverted standpoint. So I just assume that sort of a zone of safety extends to everyone. So I'm, it's fascinating to hear that you're actually the opposite. Nope. I speak much more when I'm at a table with people. When I'm in a virtual meeting, I am more likely to just turn off my camera and be in the background and only speak up when I really like need to, when I feel it's necessary. Otherwise, I'm like, you guys got this. Yeah. It's so interesting. Now, do you feel, I, I mean, I hate to say this, do you feel then turning your camera off almost puts you at a disadvantage? Yes. And I hate to say this for anyone who's involved in digital meetings, but when most of the people are on video and some are not, it's a little strange. Yep. Because part of you is always wondering, like, what are those people doing? Why don't they have their cameras on? Completely. And when we're in meetings and I do have my camera on, I've noticed that the people I speak to and that I address directly are the people that have their cameras on. So if someone doesn't have their camera on, I assume they're not paying attention and don't care about the meeting. And that's not all what's happening to me. It's that I don't feel like you would take me seriously in this moment. So I'm not turning my camera on. Is that... There's like a, an aspect of privilege to that too, right? There's a, a privilege of l- a low bar for physical appearance for men, right? Yeah, yeah. you guys don't about. have to make sure that your eyebrows look right or that your lips don't look... What are you right. talking about? My eyebrows are always on fleek. Dude, your eyebrows are always <laughs> amazing. I'm jealous of those eyebrows, actually. I try hard to get them and I can't. So I'll keep working. I'll keep working. That is literally the first nice thing anybody has ever said about my eyebrows. <laughs> you don't have a unibrow. Good job. Yeah, just acknowledging that there are two of them sometimes is an accomplishment. <laughs> No, they look great. But yeah, I mean, I kind of touch on this a little later. It's that it's hard to remain, like it's hard to keep that feminine aspect of it when you're doing a job surrounded by all men. And you Mm -hmm. don't want to lose that part of yourself because I am feminine and I want to be treated that way at times. So it's just, it's a weird dynamic. And sometimes that's hard to explain, but yeah. That's one of the things, like what Adam said, like, guys, it's okay if you show up in a baseball hat, like a baseball cap and a t-shirt. If I show up in a baseball cap, a t-shirt, they're like, oh, are you okay? (laughs) Like, everything all right? (laughs) I'm like, why can't I wear a cap to work? I was just listening to an episode of Hidden Brain. It's a podcast on NPR. And they were interviewing this woman. I, I don't know if she was a psychologist or if she was just an author that talked about psychology. But she was saying that if you look at photographs of young girls all over the world in groups, that there's inevitably a photograph of one girl whispering into another girl's ear. And she said, you almost never see that with young boys. And and she was saying that so much of the female experience is about communication. It's all about, about communication. Yeah. And that young boys tend to organize around one dominant voice yep. who is the leader of the pack. And that's how they socialize. Yep. And, and it, it's interesting to think about that, how and if it translates into uh, female leadership and, and what kind of communication styles that cultivates. I completely agree with that because I feel like the majority of the times I can mitigate any situation that arises. So Mm. I can talk a problem down. I can talk down conflict. I can ease tension when it's going on. And I think that we're taught that from a young age, like as females, like how you stop fights, how you raise your kids, like how you handle your siblings, like all of that's just kind of 
ingrained in us slightly different than it was my brother. My brother was always taught to be a breadwinner and to be strong and to carry the family. And I was taught to make sure things went well and to make sure that the family worked well. And I take a lot of that into what I do now. Like raising two boys has been a nightmare most days. Like there are days I wish I could do over just to attempt to get it right. But I also learned how to resolve conflict between teenage boys. And that's not the easiest to do at times. <laughs> or between teenage boys and adult teachers who aren't necessarily treating them right. And to get them to a point where they're able to communicate to adults in a way that makes sense, that's not easy to do. And I take a lot of those skills that I've learned as being a mom into what I do at work every day. So mm -hmm. I can mitigate conflicts and I can stop things before they happen because sometimes I just have the foresight to say, you slapping your brother on the face, that's not going to end well. So let's not do that. And it sounds silly, but when you're looking at someone's PR feedback on something and the way that they're talking to someone is very rude and very demeaning, you can immediately go, hey, that's going to cause a problem and we should address that now, not when the problem arises, because now it can be resolved. Now you can learn from it. Later, there may just be consequences. So I feel like the mom side of me definitely helps in my leadership roles and it helps in communication. So I'm sure dads have the ability to communicate just as well as moms do, but this is Women's Month and moms are great. <laughs> I mean, I can only speak from my own experience, but definitely when I was growing up, I, I loved my father, but I definitely communicated much more with my mother. I felt very much closer to my mother. Like my dad was a symbol mm -hmm. and my mother was a relationship, if that makes sense. Hmm. It completely does. Yeah, I get that. I was asked when I was doing these interviews recently, what was something I felt that was important in a leadership role? And one of my answers was compassion. You can't be a good leader if you're not compassionate. Because your people and the people you're leading are going to fail and they're going to fall on their face and you have to be compassionate and you have to be able to help them get back up on their feet and you have to show them that they can fight through this and they can do better, that it's okay. Like you have to have compassion. And I can tell you, like growing up, my dad was never like that. That was my mom. My mom was the one that was like, you'd be okay. My dad was like, rub some dirt in it. You're good. <laughs> Just move on. And my mom was like talking me through it. So I think compassion is huge when you're talking about any leadership position. I'll tell you, in a professional environment, I can open up. I feel comfortable opening up to men. I feel like it takes me a period of time to get there. If I meet a male companion at work and we're talking, it's, it's going to be months of did you see the movie? Did you see the TV show before I even broach yeah. much more personal topics? I feel like if I talk to a woman at work, I can like I can immediately go into the I didn't sleep well last night because such and such and my wife's stressed out. And I don't know. I just feel much more comfortable opening up uh, to to yeah. female coworkers. I get that. Again, it goes back to the most females have that compassionate side of them that males can't necessarily show in an immediate conversation like if you walked up to me and started talking i'd be like oh yeah oh no what's going on like tell me what's happening like how can i help like do you need a nap on my couch let's take a nap real quick you'll probably feel better after a nap i'm sure you'll feel better right and guys again like my dad rub some dirt in it move on and i think women are just really good at listening and trying to find solutions to problems and trying to make you feel like it's okay to have emotions 
It's okay to feel things. And a lot of guys were raised with the, you shouldn't be expressing that. And you should be carrying all of this on (laughs) your shoulder. Press those feelings down. Yeah, exactly. And it's awful to say that, but that's just kind of the generation. That's just how it was, yeah. It's how it was, yeah. So, I mean, women are good at, at saying, look, you're okay. Have your emotional day. Do you want some ice cream and cake? Because I'll have ice cream and cake with you. <laughs> I had that, you know, exactly what you're describing as my upbringing. My dad, I mean, it's what both of you have been describing. Like in my house, you know, my dad was more of a symbol. He was the breadwinner. Yeah. He was the workaholic. He was never there. Yeah. Not yeah. because he was out getting drunk, but because he was working Providing. his butt off to, to provide yeah. for the family. Yeah. yeah. And my mom was the one who dealt with the fact that we were people living in a society with feelings and problems. And I have kids, my kids have their own personal issues. And because of, in part, because of my upbringing, I had my own personal issues in just in the way I dealt with my feelings and my relationships. And it took a lot of work and a long time to improve myself. And and I would say improve my emotional intelligence, like my emotional IQ. Emotional IQ. And I did that entirely focusing on my relationships with like my friends and my family, mostly my family. But after having like reached a few milestones in working on that, I have totally seen how that's affected and improved my ability to get work done, my ability to see problems before they become problems. It's all of it. Yeah. In communication and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it's funny. There's those posters or memes that say like, be the person that your dog thinks you are. Like, <laughs> I, I, I almost feel like it works in the other direction as well. You're like, I, I could just as easy say like treat my loved ones as well as I, how I treat my dog. Oh man, that's hard. And yeah. when you walk by the the <laughs> office break room and they're humping something, <laughs> cut that out. Cause <laughs> <laughs> do you just go pet them on the head and say, good boy, you'll do better next time. <laughs> There's no emotional barrier when it comes to talking to the dog. She does None. something great. I immediately tell her how great you she is. And her, yeah. Yeah. When it comes to people I love, it's, there's so much more weight to it for some yeah. reason. And that's probably all entirely artificial. Oh, it is. But it's normal. It's not abnormal. I mean, that's just kind of how a lot of people are. And that's okay. Yeah. So. If I can interject with one more podcast aside, I was listening. I think it was to an episode of There Are No Stupid Questions, another NPR podcast. And uh, I don't even remember what the topic of the show was. It had something to do with emotional intelligence, I think was the topic of the show. And they had asked people to call in and do little recordings about how they were raised uh, to express their emotions. And they said when they got the results, when they got all these recordings, they were surprised. All of these men had called in and left these messages about how as a male kid, they were raised not to have emotions, not to express anxiety, not to express fear or, or be weak. And they were saying that as adult men, they feel completely disconnected from other humans. They feel disconnected from their family. They don't know how to talk to their wives. They don't know how to talk to their children. And they feel just like terribly isolated. And and it was just shocking. They said how many men called in to leave messages just like that. It's crazy because raising my boys, I've always been like, okay, tell me what you're feeling. Like try to express what you're feeling because your feelings are, they matter. They need to be validated and you need to tell me what you're feeling right now in this emotion. Like I can tell that you're angry with me. I can tell that you're angry with your brother, but we need to actually like express what that is rather than just sitting here and holding it in a ball and then exploding later on. Like you have to express what's going on. I was like, because later on you're going to be married 
and you don't want to blow up at your wife or your husband. You want to be in a relationship where that you express what's going on and you work through things together. You don't want to be in a spot where you just can't express what's going on because you never learned how to express what's going on. So I tried. Let's see how it works. I'll let you know in like a couple of years when the oldest gets married. (laughs) Can he express his emotions? Maybe. But yeah. All right. So we talked about communication, right? That's key. So the second thing that I feel is critical in any technology company or any company in general is recruitment. Like, how do you recruit female into your workforce if your entire board of directors or your entire executive team is of the exact same like race or the exact same gender? Like, there's no way I would ever want to work for a company that the board of directors is nothing but men. Because no matter how hard I feel, like no matter how hard I fight to fit in, I'm never going to be part of that group. I'm always going to be the outsider on it. So you limit your talent pool by not promoting women and by not hiring women. You exclude people up front from ever even trying to get a job with your company. Because I only want to work for a place that accepts diversity and a place where they're going to value my talent and I'm not just going to be put back to just do nothing. You just sit there. Like I want somewhere that my talent is going to be used and I want to know that I can grow. And if it's a board full of guys, I would feel like I'll never get to that level. They're never going to let me in. Well, we actually got called out on that one time. Bravo. No, they're <laughs> kidding. <laughs> there was, or is still, I don't know. There At the time, there was a website called something like 100% Men, something like that. And it was all <laughs> just people getting, companies being called out for exactly what you're saying, having nothing yeah. but male leadership. And, and where I work, I mean, this was probably seven or eight years ago, was called out on it. And it was super embarrassing. And I am happy to say that we have a, a DEI diversity Equity and inclusion, I think is what yeah. it stands for. Nice. We have a DEI program at work and and they really have made significant inroads. The, just getting on a Zoom call, we're nowhere near where we need to be, but it is a very noticeable change. And so I'm, I'm happy about that. It's but a process. Yeah, we yeah. definitely got you called out hard. Somewhere. Good. And I think that should happen often. Usually companies like that, like they're not promoting people who are valuable to the spot. Or they're not looking outside of exactly what they know. So how do you grow your company if the views you have are always from the exact same race or the exact same gender? Like, yeah, I just don't understand that. Like, you need diversity to make things work. So uh, since you're here speaking for all women, Carol. Uh, clearly, clearly. <laughs> I'm speaking for all women tonight. So, <laughs> I, I mean, Pressure. I'll go ahead and call myself, my my company out. We are currently all middle-aged white men. There's five of us. But there's five of you, right? Yeah. I mean, and it's, I mean, when you first start, you got to hire, you know, the people that will get the job done and you have to start with people that you don't, you know, start a company and then hire people off the street. And and we fully acknowledge that we need to focus on other races, other genders, but it's, it feels, especially like what you're saying, I totally understand and sympathize with, I wouldn't want to work somewhere where I was the first woman or whatever. I get it, but somebody's got to be the first. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. Like, and maybe, and this only just now uh, occurred to me, but maybe one possible way to do that, to, to help with that problem is that first woman or first uh, minority that you're hiring, hire into a leadership role of some sort, right? To. Like don't, yeah. don't start with a junior. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
I love that our new high, like our new vice president of technology is a female. Like I know we talked about that on the podcast one night. Mm -hmm. It was a triumph for me. Like I got so excited that someone was hired into the position that is like me. Someone who I can look up to like as a role model, someone who I can go, if she can do it, so can I. Like, I don't have to feel like I am fighting this battle alone or that I am, you know, making the the track in front of me. The road's already kind of been paved. So it does make it easier when someone else is there. But that first person coming in the door, it's hard. It's hard. You're Mm -hmm. not going to have an easy time getting students out of college to like join your company if they're females and all you have are men. They're immediately going to be turned off to that. And you, again, lose valuable people just because of the current company culture. And I mean, it may be even worth laying it out there and being like, look, we've been small. We really want to diversify. We want to bring in talent. We want to bring in good people. And we know that you may be struggling with taking this position because you're the first female, but we respect what you're thinking and we respect you. And that's why we want to put you in this leadership position so that she knows that it's not just a token female. It's that we want Mm. the diversity. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, recruitment's hard when you don't have diversity. And and I think we've probably brought this up before many episodes ago, but I'm sure that many of us, if not all of us, have had the conversation or been in a conversation that goes along the lines of, obviously, we want to have a diverse workforce, but we also want to hire the best person for the job. I hate that. It's the worst. And I feel like at some point, you just have to be, you have to give in to the idea that hiring the best person for the job includes a sense of diversity diversity. and a new perspective. Agreed. You can't just brush all of that aside and be like, well, but that doesn't, like none of that doesn't count. That's just nice to have stuff. You're like, no, that's required in order to have a a well-functioning company. Like I couldn't imagine trying to create a product without people pushing my boundaries and without people pushing my buttons. Like I couldn't imagine trying to develop something new without being challenged on my thoughts. And without diversity, you don't have that. Like, I don't have someone sitting at the table going, what about this? Or what about that? It's literally just me sitting at the table saying, I want A, B, C, and D, and nobody pushing back and nobody challenging and nobody making me think through anything. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you need diversity to make innovation. Like, it doesn't happen without it, and it doesn't succeed. Yeah. So. And it, it all, I mean, it, I feel like it's easy to forget that the word diversity in what you were just saying is not just a diversity of types of people, but those oh. people are, they come from different backgrounds. They have different Agreed. life experiences. Yeah. They have different perspectives, not just from their upbringing, but from their everyday life being different. From what they do, yeah. Like one thing I saw was just talking about consumers in general. When you talk about who purchases household goods, it's usually the more feminine person in a relationship. So it's usually the female or the more feminine of the relationship. So then they're going, okay, I'm going to pick out what couch we're buying. I'm going to pick out what TV we're hanging on the wall. I'm going to pick out every appliance that goes in our kitchen. So when you're talking about people making the decisions of what consumers are purchasing, why do you not want those people in the spot before the decisions made? Like, why do you not want them making the decisions about what's going out to the market? Because if they're making the decision Mm -hmm. about what goes in the house, then why not have them up front so what you put out to market already is appealing to them? And it's just, you need the viewpoint of the people making the decisions. So, What do you think, Tim? Do you agree with all of that, the last 40 (laughs) minutes of discussion? (laughs) Yeah, man. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't put it better. Hire more women. Yeah, exactly. Hire more women is what I heard. I mean, I hired you. You did. I, I did something right. I, I said that early on. You just you skipped out a minute. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm back. I'm back. I'm, I'm supporting my wife who's working. You are. In, in Yollywood. <laughs> Yollywood. Yollywood. That's what we call the Atlanta. They do so much filming here in Atlanta. All, pretty much all the Marvel movies, et cetera. Uh, yeah, it's called, so they call it instead of Hollywood, it's Yollywood. Oh, Yollywood. That's like, y'all. Yeah. Gotcha. Y'all come back now. You hear? Okay. Sorry, okay. Carol. I just had to call Tim out for not paying attention for the last 40 minutes. Good job. <laughs> Good job. So, communication, recruitment. And then I think we touched on this one already, but role models, like role models are key to me. Like that plays into recruitment as well. Like young females who are coming up in the STEM fields. Like they need to see that we celebrate when women achieve and when women do well in the field. And if they don't see that, then how do you expect to get them to push through like the challenges they're going to face in this field if there's nobody ahead of them? Like most people don't want to take on the challenge if they know there's a good chance of failure. Like I would much rather pick a career where I know I can succeed at than pick one where I'm going to have to set the way and I'm going to have to like create mm-hmm. my path. I want to go somewhere that the path's already created where I have an opportunity to grow. So if we aren't putting females and women in these leadership roles and in places to where we can celebrate their victories and their successes, then how are people behind them supposed to know that it's an opportunity for them? So role models are key. I feel like that's one of those things that it's like, I'll never be able to relate to that because I've never been in a situation that has not been having strong male leads as examples. Yeah. Like it's just, I intellectually understand exactly what you're saying, but it's impossible to, to sympathize, empathize. I I can't, I can't relate, but I completely understand. So I have like a little background story for why role models are important for me. If I can go to that for a minute. Like I grew up in Alabama and it was always like pushed to us a lot about segregation and about inclusion and the whole history behind everything. And one of my role models growing up was always Rosa Parks because I was going through a lot of challenges when I was a kid. Like I was from an abusive family, like there was just a lot going on. And I felt like if some woman had sat there and proved that she was capable of doing it, that maybe I could too. Maybe I had the power to like overcome this and maybe I had the power to stand my ground. And it was just one of those things that made me realize that at some point, maybe I will be a role model for someone, whether that's my boys or that's someone who I'm mentoring through Girls Who Code. It's going to be through some process to where I have to be in a position, though, that they see that I can succeed to where they then feel like they can succeed. So if we aren't promoting women in technology, then that role model doesn't exist. If we're not hiring people into those roles, then the role model doesn't exist. And these girls are sitting there without any idea of where they can go. And they kind of feel defeated up front. So I think it's key that we give them good role models and that more women push to get into leadership roles. Those were my three key points. Communication, recruitment, and role models. Yay. Very nice. Yeah. I do have two things to add. I have two rewards, right? So your kids come at you with things all the time, like as a mom, right? and One thing that my son said to me, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I'm going to say it again. My son's in college and he's working on his computer science or computer engineering. His degree will actually be computer engineering. And he asked to write a paper about me. And he said that he had to explain why he decided to go into engineering. Like his teacher wanted to know what 
pushed, like what, what made them decide to do this? And he was like, kids talk about money. Kids talk about creating the next big thing. And he was like, my mom is amazing. She not only raised amazing boys, but she kicks ass every day. And she's just absolutely a rock star. And he said, if he could be a fraction of the engineer that I am, that he'll be just fine. And that made me feel amazing that Aww. did you did you cry i totally cried oh i cried yeah <laughs> but it's crazy to feel like his dad's an electrical engineer and he wasn't like oh i want to be an engineer because my dad's an engineer he's like i want to be an engineer because my mom's amazing at it and she showed me that being an engineer is freaking awesome and if i can be a fraction of what she is i'll be okay and that's just that's really cool you guys awesome. <laughs> and i did cry i cried a lot <laughs> so yeah that's my reward my reward is that i get to raise engineers now <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah so I, I don't know if you guys covered this but i, I noticed that there's not in school because i've got high school age kids that the, the the pathways that they're taking it when it comes to computer science it tends to be predominantly male it is and so how do you get girls interested at an early age in coding because so last night max had a follow-up star student thing it was like the regionals he didn't win someone else won but there was about 35 star students so it's a star student they had the highest sat in their school and so they had a little award ceremony and so all the girls were going into sort of like medical or uh, pharma pharmaceutical type things not all of them but not a single female and it was pretty split evenly not a single girl star student said that she was doing computer science but overwhelmingly most of the boys said there was computer science that they were going into and so i think that is part of it is is educating early that yes you can do this this is a job that that you certainly there's no reason you can't do it yep. getting that aptitude and taste for doing it early Yeah, I mean, I think it may have been in our like intro session, like our intro podcast or whatever. I talked about when I was just trying to sign up for classes. My advisor, when I told her what I wanted to do, she's like, are you sure you want to do that? Like, English is so much easier to take. Like, why would you want to take all these extra classes? And I'm like, no, this is Mm -hmm. what I want to do. She's like, are you sure? Because that's really hard. And it made me go, oh, my God, like why is she telling me this is so hard? Like I can, like I'm good with the challenge. I'll do fine. But it made me go, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And then I walk into my classes and I'm the only female in the class or one of two females in the class. And I'm like, oh, it's because only guys do this. And it's not that maybe she thinks I can't do it. It's that she's seen who goes through it. And those initial conversations are what set a lot of Mm. students in general into their path. So counselors and advisors play a key role in that. So when a student comes to you and is like, hey, I'm thinking about taking science. Hell yeah, go take science. Woohoo, do your thing. Like, don't be like, oh, you should probably take American literature because I feel like you are going to do better in that than physics any day. Like, let them try. And if they fail, guess what? They fail. They tried it and they figure out what they want. But if they succeed, then you've just put someone in the technology field who's probably going to do amazing things and love their life. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, so that that innate bias, right? That that people have. So in middle school, I was a mentor for the Lego Mindstorm. That the kids would build and program the 
little Lego robots and uh, have to fill out the, do these assignments and they compete against other schools. And I noticed that the first year I did it is that the teacher, she was like guiding all the girls. Cause there was also like a report section where you had to build like trifold boards and do the project stuff. And she was pushing all the girls to do that stuff. And all the boys, she let do the programming in the Arr, building. I'm mad now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the next year I'm like, I think we need to have a boy and a girl. And I didn't mentor that year, but she did that. And it actually worked out quite well. And actually at the competition, we went up against a girl only team that the school had two teams and one was just only girls and one was only boys. And the girls trounced us. Yeah. I mean, they just absolutely <laughs> killed us. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and they were so excited and they were just, you could tell they were really enjoying it. So I, I think just giving that opportunity to play and not be like, oh, that's not that that's a boy thing. But I don't know how you make that change in the schools. It, it takes a lot of work because even when I was in class, it would always be like, oh, you handle organizing all the projects mm-hmm. and we're going to do the projects. And I was like, no, you write the papers. I've already started the project. <laughs> so either join me or don't. I'm doing it myself without you. So, yeah. yeah. But that, that that takes a lot of, I mean, a lot of people, male or female, don't have that level of self-awareness to say, you know what? You guys are trying to put me in this box. I don't want to be in this box. I'm doing it myself. And see, Um, that's where I think when you put females in the leadership roles to where they can go to the schools and they can mentor mm -hmm. these students and say, hey, you can succeed. You can do okay. Then these advisors and these counselors start seeing that and they're like, okay, yeah, like, I feel like, I feel like they'd be like, yeah, okay, maybe you can do okay. I'll stop pushing so hard. It's a hope, right? But maybe, who knows? I just think we need more females in leaderships. We need men pushing to put female in leadership roles and the world just gets better. Maybe when I retire, I'll become a guidance counselor and I'll I'll work on encouraging young girls to get into computer science. You should. Hopefully the problem is solved before I retire, but. It won't agree. be. Agree. <laughs> agree, right? Right. Or just don't deter them. That's the key thing. Yeah. Like, I don't like. I don't think anyone should push a kid anywhere, but you just, if someone's trying to, to try something, let them try no. it. When you're a college yeah. kid, that's when you're supposed to figure out life. That's when you're supposed to be figuring out what you're good and bad at. So, figure it out. Word. Totally agree. I okay. think we have covered my key points. We've talked about a lot of things, and I appreciate your time. Yeah. I appreciate you guys listening. No, this has been great. I've kind of rambled a lot, but it's something I'm passionate about. And I love, I, yeah, I love the whole thing. <laughs> I know you did. Even you totally when I called you out for being the best boss I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Did you really? I did. I did. So we'll step back. I basically said you pushed me into something that I wasn't totally comfortable with. And I appreciate that. Like I've had really good guys in my life. And I, I didn't push you. I, I encourage you, you. And I also had the really <laughs> bosses who've sent me <laughs> pics. So I've had both yeah. sides of it. And I appreciate that you were a good guy and that you showed me the way and that you taught me. And for that, I will always be your dad. Oh, yeah. Make me cry. I love you. Love you too. I love you too, Adam and Ben. Just (laughs) your heart matters. Him a little more. (laughs) That's that's okay. He earned it. He earned it. He earned it. Yeah. So this episode of Working Code was brought to you by listening to this entire episode, which is something Tim has totally already done. (laughs) (laughs) Hey. (laughs) And, And listeners like you. 
If you like what we're doing here, you should consider supporting us on Patreon. We have a bunch of really great people helping us out over there, and we appreciate every single one of them. Special thanks, of course, to our top patrons, Monty and Peter. You guys rock. If you'd like to help us out, you can find us at patreon.com slash workingcodepod. All of our patrons get early access to an ad-free version of new episodes and our after show, which should be a good one tonight. A really easy and really helpful way for you to support the show would be to retweet our new episodes. We post a tweet every Wednesday morning with a clip from this week's new episode. And if you could retweet that to help us get exposure to more people, we'd really appreciate that. You can find us on Twitter at Working Code Pod. I guess that's going to be it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember, your heart matters. Even if you didn't listen to the entire episode, but you were supporting a woman in your life. Yes, perfect. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code. From WBEZ Chicago, this is... Working Code Podcast. So I grew up in Alabama and I grew up, you know, learning a lot about Montgomery and about segregation. And it was just embedded to us a lot that embedded, is that the right word? Might not be the right word. It was implanted into us. Inbreeding is Alabama thing. Let's go back here. Maybe it was inbred. (laughs) I got super excited. I'm sorry, guys. Okay. Inbreeding. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I did grow up on the farm, so... (laughs)